No ruler that ever lived had the support of all the people. But the rebirth of Marine is the cause of this violence. The Masters cannot let Marine succeed. Because if Marine succeeds, a city without slavery, a city without Masters, it proves that no one needs a Master. Good. Shall we begin? Game of Thrones. Oh my god. There's dragons. You gotta watch it. You see them. There's this fight scene with this guy. And some of them are really small. Winter's coming. I'm helpless. The guy thought it was a season four. I'm gonna see him get big. Watch your ass. Look at that. Now they're amazing. Is that a guy or a girl? Seriously. We gotta see it. What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our king. Dracaris. Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we're reviewing episode 9, Battle of the Bastards, or B.O.B., as they called it in production. Or Bastard Bowl. Yes, for the fan people out there, if you like. Directed by Miguel Sapochnik, written by Benioff and Weiss, and Rotten Tomatoes gave this a 9.3 out of 10. IMDb gave it a 10 out of 10. It was one of only two episodes ever on the website to get a 10. On the entire IMDb yeah. website? Wow. Yeah. What was the other one? That's a good question. Yeah. I should look that up. Maybe it was another episode nine of Game of Thrones. But 9.3 on Rotten Tomatoes is also one of the highest we've seen Game of Thrones get, or any show for that matter. There were also a lot of executive producers for this episode. We saw as the credits were rolling in the beginning. We couldn't find the names of all of them, but definitely noteworthy that it seemed a lot more than typical episodes. Yeah. But Miguel Sapochnik, our director for this one, he also has done The Gift and Hard Home episodes in previous seasons. So you know him for these big oh, yeah. battle action type episodes. He said he was interested in depicting both the horror of war and the role of luck in battle. Benioff and Weiss said about this episode that they took a lot of inspiration from real history. Um, several battles, including those from the American Civil War and the Battle of Cannae, I think is how you say it, which involved the army of Carthage defeating a much larger army from the Roman Republic. He says, we went back to the Roman fight against the Carthaginians, where the Romans got caught in an encirclement by Hannibal and just slaughtered to a man. The Battle of the Bastards becomes incredibly compact, all these men, all these combatants crammed into this tight space on the battlefield. You read accounts of the battles in the Civil War where the bodies were piled so thick it became an obstruction. From the beginning, we knew the one thing we'd never had on this show was a true medieval pitch battle where two sides bring all the forces they can and go at each other until one wins and the other loses. So they finally had the budget and were able to do that. I have to say, I, I probably should save this for later, but I'll just say it now so I don't forget... Looking at all those bodies, mm-hmm. when they're surrounded, and they have a wall of bodies, legit wall, yeah. that they have to climb over, I just kept thinking about, what if they were fighting the White Walkers right now? All those bodies would be reanimating into your enemy. Mm-hmm. And that just made me feel like, how the hell are we ever going to win? 
No, I love that you bring this up because we will go in detail about the episode, but overall feelings, <laughs> it was hard for me. At the end of the episode, I felt really glad that we'd had this victory, but more than that, this overwhelming sense of despair that all of those bodies that you saw on the field, all of the people that were killed, including those that fought for the Boltons, were potential people that could have fought for the humans. Oh well, yeah, that too. <laughs> Good, bad, or indifferent people, obviously Ramsey had to be taken out, but his men any one of those people might have been the person that makes the difference in the Great War, the wars to come with the White Walkers. So it was just really sad to see all of this devastation essentially to take back Winterfell. I mean, that started out feeling so important because we love the Starks and they're a central part of our storyline, but now it just seems so insignificant in the face of something that's coming to wipe out the entire human race. Yeah. Now, I know it was necessary because we needed the North united in order to fight this war. There was no way we were gonna to get together with the Boltons being at odds with us and people claiming their kings in the north and not really putting together this united front. But it did leave you feeling a little bit hopeless, I think, at the end of the episode. In those regards, yes, absolutely. But there were also just such amazing scenes, amazing filming, visuals. I felt like, other than perhaps a little predictability, that we essentially knew what was going to happen in a lot of these circumstances. But other than that, it was one of the most amazing episodes on Game of Thrones ever. Yeah, and I'm not completely with you on the predictability because even when we think we know what's going to happen, sometimes it's the complete opposite. Well, I was actually thinking we're about to lose Jon Snow. Yeah, that was definitely a worry in my mind the whole time. I went into this thinking, no way can they take him from us. There's just no way. He hasn't been back resurrected long enough. He hasn't completed whatever it is he was brought back to life to do. But they made you feel that way a lot of times in this episode, that either he was just giving up at certain points or he was being overtaken by this seemingly hopeless battle they were fighting. What I'm referencing is Sansa not telling John about Littlefinger's army being able to come and help them. Uh, Davos finding out about Melisandre burning Shireen, the way that they attacked, uh, eventually being victorious in Winterfell. The main points of it, mm -hmm. kind of we had an idea of, but how it was depicted was so unique that even if we kind of knew where it was going, it was still interesting. Yeah, and I have more to say, but I don't want to spill it all right now until we go into the crow's eye view. But I do have to say that I also thought in going along the lines that we might lose snow is that when he was talking to the red witch and the way she was speaking to him, I thought maybe they were foreshadowing mm. the fact that he might die. Yeah. Cause she was really down about it. Right. Yeah. Like maybe he just brought you back for this one battle. So yeah, we'll talk about her later. Not too great of a pep talk no. for John getting back to our fun facts regarding the battles in game of Thrones throughout all of the seasons. I think it's interesting to look back how they always wanted to depict these battles. The showrunners originally wanted in season one to depict the Battle of the Green Fork or the Battle of the Trident in Robert's Rebellion that led up to our Game of Thrones, but they didn't have the budget. They received six million per episode in season two, but had to go back to HBO to request an additional two million just so they could finish the Battle of Blackwater. Mm. So I guess they never really thought they could do this justice until now. This season they have had 10 million per episode, but it probably wasn't spaced out evenly. I assume a large amount of that went to this episode, episode nine. nine. My God, that's so much money. 
Yeah, if you episode. think about that, that's a hundred million for the season. For season six alone. But if you extrapolate that even more, a movie, like a blockbuster movie, which is two and a half hours long, mm-hmm. is about 150, sometimes 200 million. Mm-hmm. This is 10 hours long. Yep. So it's not even that much money, if you think about it that way. Especially when you're putting the bulk of it towards one episode. Yeah. In, in seasons like this, where you know you need a lot for the episode nine, you have a lot le- less to work with. And if you think about some of the places that we saw in this season so far, the beautiful things that they had to depict, which you know had to involve a lot of CGI, a lot of the dragon work, a lot of the armies, which they have to multiply with effects. I mean... Travel. How did they do that? Three units. I don't know. When we think of it that way, it's not enough money still. Yeah, and getting into the details of filming, which are interesting, for this episode, they shot on a privately owned piece of land in St. Field, which is in Northern Ireland. They were given only 12 days to shoot. So Miguel Sapochnik came and said, well, I have this 48-day schedule. 12 Hmm. days is not going to work. They eventually squeezed it down to 25 days, which is what it took. But I think that when they talk about other TV shows, typically 12 would be a lot of days for filming. Mm -hmm. So 25 is a real lot. They required 500 extras, 25 professional stuntmen, 600 crew members, and 80 horses. In addition, because of the heavy rains they get in Ireland, they had to lay 160 tons of gravel over the field in order to give traction to the horses. Oh my goodness. (laughs) We also learned some really interesting things about the horses, because I was thinking of that as we're watching this. These amazing scenes where the horses are just running at each other and throwing people, throwing riders off, hitting each other. And I was wondering... Is this all special effects? Like, how could they really get horses to do this? So we watched some behind-the-scenes stuff Mm -hmm. with the horse master for the show. And now, of course, I can't remember her name. She was really excited about this because apparently in seasons past, there wasn't a whole lot to do in actuality with the horses. Right. She finally got these amazing scenes. They had 80 horses to work with. So for parts where they showed us all of Ramsey's men they showed the full 80 or all of stark's men the full 80 but then when they were coming at each other they split it into 40 and 40 and then later you know they built that up with the cgi she said that horses in general are difficult to coordinate in battle scenes which is why they are rarely used except in big budget war films for this they had four different camera crews Each army was trained separately to create an off-screen rivalry between the groups. So even the actors, the way they were trained, they were split up. Uh, And then the visual effects were used to expand, of course, the horses and the army into thousands. We even learned that they spent an entire day of just shooting John beating on (laughs) Ramsey. That scene where he's trying to beat him to death initially, that was a whole day. Of shooting. Where Kit Harington actually ended up punching him twice. And I guess the actor that plays Ramsey was really good about it, but that's a really long day. Then you go over to Daenerys because we got some really amazing visual stuff there, even though we didn't spend a lot of time. Sapochnik credits the VFX supervisor, Joe Bauer, and producer Steve Kullback for what we see on screen. He says he based many directorial choices on footage of World War II supermarine spitfires in action in order to create these dragons. He also looked at wildlife footage. He wanted to allow the dragons to break the frame. 
He said they should be so big and fast that it's hard to keep up with them visually as you're watching. And in order to actually insert Danny into these frames, the production created a multi-directional, computer-controlled, hydraulic, gimbal-shaped device, like the upper shoulders of a dragon, which she was able to ride on. I mean, they they did all that just to shoot these scenes that you see for a couple of seconds of her riding on Drogon, but so worth it because of the epic scale of what's happening there in Marine. Yeah, and visually, I mean, that scene is going to be in our head forever so it may be may have been a physical few seconds but i think it'll live on absolutely so just a few more facts for in the books and in the show some differences in the books the besieging troops in marine were actually catapulting dead bodies and not fire missiles oh the impact of that was pretty cool i guess visually they figured this would have been easier to do on screen in the North, something we haven't talked about in the books, Mance Raider is not actually dead yet. So we had a little speech about him here between Davos and Tormund talking about who they formerly served. And I thought it was important to bring that up, that in the books it was the Lord of Bones that Stannis executed. And Mance Raider had been disguised by Melisandre's magic to save him from the flames. He went to Winterfell in an attempt to rescue... Arya, because that's who's there in the books, or at least fake Arya. They don't know she's fake. So he went there, and his fate is currently unknown. Also, small John Umber, who we see wound up actually being loyal to the Boltons this whole time. He didn't turn. He was always loyal to the Starks in the books. Uh, And he was killed at the Red Wedding protecting Rob, so he never even made it this far in the storyline. Now, going back to show canon, not the books, episode nine is typically always the biggest episode in the season. It follows a cyclic pattern of a horrific death, usually of a main character, or a big battle. So let's go through these. Season one's episode nine was Ned Stark's death, major character death, and usually is a Stark. Season two, episode nine was Battle of the Blackwater. Season three, episode nine, character deaths at the Red Wedding for Catelyn and Rob. Season four, episode nine, was the Battle at the Wall. Season five was Shireen's death. And now season six has done something a little different in that they've given us the battle and the death because we have the Battle of the Bastards and Rick and Stark's death both taking place. Hmm. I never put it together that it was always Stark's, pretty much. On episode nine. Yeah, well, I guess if you're looking at the people that are most important to us being taken, that would usually be a Stark. And the last thing is that in the episode, The Gift, if you go back to 2015, Melisandre tells Stannis something important. She says, I have seen myself walking along the battlements of Winterfell. I have seen the flayed men banners lowered to the ground. Basically, she sees the victory at Winterfell in her flames. So I thought that was interesting to go back to because she talks a lot about how her visions are correct. What the Lord gives her is true, but she misinterprets. Mm -hmm. And it seems like she did actually see this victory taking place. She just didn't realize that it was in this battle with Jon Snow and not the previous battle against the Boltons with Stannis. So we see her very down in this episode. We'll get a little more to that, but she actually has been right a real lot when you go back and look at these little things maybe that we've forgotten about. 
I thought it was crazy that, uh, not crazy, but interesting. We knew Melisandre as the person that would always be in those uh, war meetings and always whispering in the ear. Mm. And this time, Snow is like, why weren't you there? And she's like, because I'm not, uh, I forget exactly what she says, but basically because I'm not, uh, I don't belong there. Yeah, there's nothing I can do. Very defeated woman. Why couldn't the gods just give her like a picture of who it is that would fix everything? If the god wants her to do her his his or her bidding, mm-hmm. like help out a little more, and she's more likely to do what you and need show her, her do. John, right? Yeah. Well, so our big deaths for this episode were the two masters in Marine, Rickon, One One the Giant, Small John Umber, and Ramsey. And that's important to note because taking one one from us, it seems like this is the last of the giants. Yeah. Altogether, a race has been eliminated, and very soon on the heels of the last of the children seemingly being eliminated. So oh, yeah. all of these kind of larger than life or magical creatures that used to live in Westeros and then in the north are now being exterminated, essentially whole races. Ugh. Which is pretty sad. All right, let's get into our crow's eye view. We have a lot to talk about for this episode, a lot of interesting things. We're going to start off in Marine first, as we see that first. We begin with Danny and Tyrion discussing a plan to deal with the slaver fleet. Danny wants to slaughter their army and the cities of Yonkai, Astapor, and Volantis entirely. But Tyrion tells her of Ares, her father's similar plan to destroy King's Landing with wildfire during the Lannister siege. It seems she didn't know about that. And he suggests instead offering terms of surrender to the masters. I thought this scene was important because they've been depicting Tyrion as being sort of inept, at least the latter half of this season. He doesn't really have this major part to play. He's kind of coming in as comic relief in many areas. He's made a big mistake for how he handled Marine in many ways. I mean, this was really pretty much the best he could do and it's more than what she d- would have done she didn't know what to do where to start and she seemed fine with it when he explained to her what had happened since yeah. she'd left and how he had basically done all he could to ensure that the city was in ashes by the time she got back and he did delay the siege and the battle that's happening here now the city was kind of flourishing so i think she was okay with that it was like you know that's the most she could have hoped for Yeah, she seemed really all right with it. I mean, going forward a little bit when they're in the main hall Mm -hmm. and uh, Reek, I got to stop calling him Reek, I guess. Theon. Theon and his sister are there. Mm -hmm. Daenerys looks over to Tyrion for a moment in this scene, Mm -hmm. almost like asking him, is this all right? Or do you agree? Not is this all right, but do you agree? So I think right, he's already made you know, the hand for her. Yeah, he's in. He passed these tests, and that was really good to see. It was really good that she was listening to him to a certain extent because initially she was just like, no, we're going to burn them. That's it. I made the decision. They're bad. They're wrong. The only way to deal with it is to take them all out. And he says, well, wait a second, though, because you know there's going to be a lot of innocent lives that you're torching in these cities. People that believe in what you're doing and are just victim to the masters. And you're going to be killing them too. And that's very Mad King of you. And this is almost what we've been saying as an audience, that we're fearful for her, 
she could turn into a ruler like that who just conquers and burns everyone. And he's kind of bringing that point up the way that I hoped he would. You need to slow it down a second. There You're might, turning into might be alternatives. But they kind of like met in the middle with this. Yeah. What they wound up doing was a brilliant compromise. Burn like three ships, but destroy them completely, which I guess scares the rest to just chill out. Yeah, well, we do see him saying to the one master that they let live, take this story back to your cities. Tell them what happens when you defy her. So we don't have to kill everybody. And especially the ships, you need these ships, he tells her, to go back home. So it makes a lot of sense what he's saying. If you burn them all, you can't use them. Yep. So send your message by burning a few. Take out all of these masters that are fighting against you and the Sons of the Harpy and send the message back with the survivors. And hopefully that keeps them in line. If it doesn't, then you come back in another year and you burn a few more. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say that whole section, that whole scene. Your reign is over. My reign has just begun. The visuals were amazing, of course, but also the talking points were, were really well done. I felt like uh, I was watching the Cavaliers win the championship, so I was like, oh my god, they are kicking ass. But how funny if when Daenerys was talking, she says, my reign has just begun. Mm-hmm. You know how the dragon like came right on point? Yeah. What if he didn't? And there was like a, a, just an awkward silence, and she'd be like... I said my reign has just (laughs) begun. (laughs) That would have been such a... I mean, because she, up until now, she didn't really have control of her dragons. Yeah, we mentioned that, how a couple of episodes ago, when she was facing the Dothraki cows, leading them towards Marine, she had this scene that now it stresses the importance of Drogon coming out and seeing how she was able to... Notice when he was there, call mm-hmm. him over, get up on his back. He just sits there. He doesn't kill anybody. He lets her do her thing. It kind of sucks that we didn't get that development more of seeing how that bond was forged to a greater level and how she's now able to tame him. But I guess we just didn't have the time and we're there and that's great. I still think it's because she has that hateful fire in her heart right now. Mm-hmm. When she didn't have that hateful fire, she didn't have control of her people or end of the dragons. Yeah, well, certainly when it comes to having them do what she wants as far as burning people, but even just coming on cue mm-hmm. and sitting there and waiting to do what she tells them to do, I mean, this is really another level of almost taming them to an extent. Yeah. How the hell did those her other two dragons know to break through the wall? Did they hear their brother or something? Yeah, well, let's go back to talking about this scene because we're okay. dancing around yeah. it, um, where... Danny, Tyrion, Masandi, and Grey Worm go out to meet with the masters, who tell Danny they will let her leave the city on foot like the beggar queen she is if she hands over the Unsullied army and Masande and kills her dragons. Which I thought was interesting because this is almost like a callback to that scene with the slave masters where mm-hmm. she's trying to buy the Unsullied army and they're asking for an arm and a leg. Basically, give us one of your dragons and you can have what you want. And it seems like she's giving into that until you find out she has this greater plan of just roasting them. Yeah. The same thing here. You're almost wondering for a second, is she really going to give some of this stuff up? Certainly she's not going to kill her dragons, but would she leave 
say, some of the army behind? What would she give up in order to have this restored? But they automatically flip that on you by having them say, oh, you must have misunderstood. Mm -hmm. We're not here to negotiate my surrender. We're actually here to negotiate yours. So this is how it's going to be. And that's when Drogon flies up and she rides him into the bay. And we see Rhaegal and Viserion break out of the caves. So I think that was the meaning behind Tyrion unchaining them a few episodes ago, that they were sitting in there free. They could have left any time they wanted, but they were waiting for their mother to come back. Okay. And when they sent A, the cheese near, and like you said, Drogon, who has now become sort of their pack leader, and they will follow him as they do into torching the ships. They're now flying free. I like that you saw that they were smaller than Drogon. Mm -hmm. He is the biggest one. He is the, I guess, beta of the group, because if you see Danny as the alpha. He's huge. Drogon is huge. If you just compare it to when uh, Drogon flew her outside of the Coliseum. Yeah. We thought he was huge then, and now he's three times that size. Well, in bringing that up, <laughs> out of all the dragon scenes we've seen, we were a little disappointed with the CGI of her flying out of the fighting pits. Right. And the slight awkwardness of her getting up onto his back and riding him out. But that is just seamless here in this episode and beautiful. The way she climbs up onto his back and flies out, seeing it close up, seeing it far away, seeing the dragons torching the ships, right down to the fire is so intense that it actually splits the one ship in half. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing the way this was all done. And she did her whole... Uh Dracaris. Dracaris, and then they, I love that. Whatever they use, whatever <laughs> instrument, it's sick. Yeah, those sound effects are great. And also great moments now you go back while she's doing all of this. You had Tyrion telling the masters that Danny has ordered one of them to die as punishment for their crimes. Two of the masters offer Yezen as he's lowborn. Yeah. Grey Worm walks up and kills the other two instead. And this is just the epic moment for Grey Worm that we've yeah. been waiting for, right? Saw how badass he was. He was quick, smooth, didn't bat an eye. I don't know. It just made me... It reminded me how badass he is. And finally, they're, they're all on the same page. Missandei's giving her a little speech. Grey Worm is cutting two men's head off at the same time. Tyrion. Tyrion comes in and says to the man they left living, to Yezan, take this message home. Tell them of Danny's mercy. And then pats him on the shoulder and walks away. <laughs> that was epic. You even get the clip of Dario leading the Dothraki charge against the Sons of the Harpy, mm -hmm. or slaughtering men in the streets. That's right. So everyone was kind of working together oh, and to even, restore. Yeah, even Grey Worm, when he speaks to the other slaves who are going to fight them, mm -hmm. basically tells them, uh, your masters won't fight for you. Are you really going to fight for your masters, or do you want to go home to your family right now? And they just bounce. And they, they turn tail. <laughs> so it was great. I mean, as much as they could wrap up Marine with a little bow on it, they absolutely did. Right down to this last scene where... Later on, Danny and Tyrion meet with Theon and Yara. The Greyjoys offer Danny their fleet of ships if she will help them overthrow their uncle Euron and grant independence to the Iron Islands. The only suspect part of this was that Tyrion was wary of Theon because of their previous encounter at Winterfell and his supposed murder of the Stark boys. Even after Theon and Yara insist that he did not kill the boys and he has paid for his crimes, 
Tyrion continues to go at him. Yeah. He has this personal grudge. He was affronted by the jokes that Theon made back in the day against dwarfs, and he doesn't want to let it go. And it takes Danny stepping in and being like, all right, you know, kind of we're here to talk terms. Yeah. Let's get this conversation moving forward for him to finally do that. Well, I think it's because Tyrion hasn't seen what we've seen. He hasn't seen all the things that Reek went through. Yeah. And we, we kind of forgot how much of a dick he was. Oh, he was. If you go back to the he season one Theon that Tyrion met. Mm-hmm. If you think about when they first found the direwolf pups, he was kicking the mother's carcass in the snow. He was yeah. laughing at things that were totally inappropriate. That was the Theon that Tyrion remembers. And he even points that out when Yara says he's paid for his crimes. And Tyrion's like, doesn't look like it. He looks fine. And surprisingly enough, he does look cleaned up here. Yeah. He's got his head held high. He's addressing them. Uh, he doesn't look like the broken man that he did a few episodes ago. No. Thank goodness, because I was getting sick of that. So Danny agrees to assist them, actually. I was surprised. She was very ready to say, you can have your independence. You can be separate from the Seven Kingdoms so long as you recognize me as the Queen of Westeros. But here's the thing. You have to cease the reaving, the raping, and the pillaging. Is she going to be able to get her men to not do that anymore? That's essentially telling them to stop being who they've been for thousands of years. This is not just something they do, like bad deeds. Mm -hmm. This is their way of life. Their words are, we do not sow. Meaning, we don't plant and grow crops. We don't build things. We don't grow things. We just take them from other people. Anything we have, it's because we've stolen it. We've plundered it. That's what we do. But <clears throat> did they do it because they didn't have the money or the means to? Like maybe if they, after this, all this fight is over and things go well, maybe they'll have more money because they'll be in legion. Uh, that's not really a part of it, though. It's, it's really more like because of the geography and the years, the, the types of people they are, this is what they've become. They've become these tough, hardened mariners, these warrior-type people, these, these pirate-type people almost to, to a certain extent. And I think that Yara agrees with Danny agrees with the idea of the old way didn't work. And now those old people are gone. Our ter terrible fathers, who we all had to deal with, are dead. Now we're in a position where we can bring things into a new world. We can mm -hmm. change the way things are done. But it's going to be really difficult. It's a nice thing to say mm -hmm. that we're just going to break the wheel. You yeah. know, we're going to do it all different. But I brought up that point with Danny's army, how she's bringing over these Dothraki, who all they do for thousands of years oh, yeah. is rape and plunder, you know, and kind of destroy things. And this unsullied army, who has been trained to just stand there as robots and die for people. They're not an independent people. Like we see that struggle with Grey Worm to get back to being a human being. So she's going to have a lot of work to do. But Yara agrees to that. She says, okay, she's going to get her people to stop doing it. Another thing is the prediction that we made coming true here. There's a little bit of flirting between... A lot of bit of flirting. <laughs> Yara and Danny. So Yara is smart. Mm -hmm. She's making the distinction between, you know, Euron wanted to come over here and just basically force his hand in marriage on you. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just making an offer. 
You know, I'm just kind of putting it out there. If you're feeling it, let yeah. me know. And Danny doesn't deny it. She kind of gives a little wink, kind wink, of flirty, nod, flirty, nod. Yeah. So I don't know that she's actually going to indulge that. Like, I don't think they're ever going to be a thing. But they're certainly forcing the girl power on you, mm -hmm. making you think about that, not only in this way, but... Is George setting us up for a new world that's all women rulers? So we would see Danny as the queen, mm -hmm. Yara as the ruler in the Iron Islands, potentially Sansa as queen in the north or warden of the north, perhaps the Sand Snakes ruling in Dorne, mm -hmm. who are all women. I mean, maybe even Marjorie has a role to play. We're kind of seeing female characters being built up now. I am not game for that being 100% black and white that way. Like she just likes women rulers because she's a woman ruler and yeah. so they all must be good because you see the sand snakes who would be horrible for anybody in the Seven Kingdoms. But um, a little bit of it. A little bit of it. I, I don't read mind. it as it's black and white in her head either though. Yeah, like I don't want her to come in and say, well, definitely no to Jon Snow because you're a man. I'm tired of all this tyrannical male oppression and ruling that's yeah. been going on and, you know. Let's put Zonta up there. I, I don't want it to be that distinct, but the notion of it is kind of cool, what they're putting forward. Definitely. And I love how uh, Yara, um, I guess Yara says to her when she's asked, she says, your people never had uh, a woman lead. Mm -hmm. And she said, your people haven't either. Mm. Like, no more than Westeros. That's right. Yeah. It's very smooth. Yeah, the whole conversation is just, I liked it. I liked the way it went. I liked the idea of when Tyrion says something along the lines of, are you really going to let them have their independence? And she's like, well, anybody's entitled to ask. Doesn't mean I'm going to say yes, but if they want to put that idea forward. So could she potentially be okay with, you know, ultimately she is the queen, but the Iron Islands kind of governing themselves day to day. Dorne, who's always been a little bit separate, Dorne. maybe governing themselves. Having a warden in the north. This is what we posited way back when, that she might put a ruling council into place, have wardens of each area that would have more independence. And ultimately, they do all answer to the queen, but it's a lot more of a parliament or even bringing in a little bit of democracy than just the one king. And if you don't kneel down, you die. I think it would be cool if the beginnings of those ideas were planted here. All this is moot if the walkers beat them. Well, yeah, and going back to that, the fact that we are losing a ton of men in Westeros. We could be losing even more in King's Landing eventually. We'll have to see where that goes. It looks like Danny's got so many people fighting for her, but would that even be enough when it comes to fighting the White Walkers and the undead? If Danny's army is all we have, we need more than that. Yeah, I agree. So that takes us over to Winterfell. Our opening scene in the north is Jon, Sansa, Tormund, and Davos meeting with Ramsay, Harold Karstark, and small John Umber before the battle. You're right. There's no need for a battle. Thousands of men don't need to die. Only one of us. Let's end this the old way. You against me. I keep hearing stories about you, bastard. The way people in the North talk about you, you're the greatest swordsman who ever walked. 
Maybe you are that good. Maybe not. I don't know if I'd beat you, but I know that my army will beat yours. I have 6,000 men. You have, what, half that? Not even? Aye, you have the numbers. Will your men want to fight for you when they hear you wouldn't fight for them? Ramsay offers surrendering terms, says he will pardon John for breaking his Night's Watch vows if he hands Santa over. We know that's not going to happen. They ask if Ramsay really has Rickon, to which he throws out Shaggy Dog's head, kind of killing all of the conjecture that perhaps we, uh, this wasn't Shaggy Dog that was killed. We were being hopeful. Santa refuses the surrender and rides off, after which John offers single combat, which I thought was an interesting proposition. But of course, Ramsay's not going to agree to that. He knows his army can beat John's army. He does not know that he can defeat John in single combat. But you find out the whole purpose for that on John's part was just to anger Ramsay, to get yeah. him riled up. So he thinks, at this point, he's the one playing with Ramsay. He has all these really great ideas, and he doesn't quite know the opponent that he's up against. No, he, he has no idea of Ramsay's psychological manipulation. Mm-hmm. That's his strength. That's his one strength, and he's really good at it. Yeah, so we go back after that to see John discussing the battle plans with Tormund and Davos. They initially have the plan to lure Ramsay into what's called a double envelopment, where you lure the majority of your enemy's forces into the center and surround them. We see later that that's what Ramsay winds up doing to them, but it is initially the Stark plan. To this, Sansa criticizes John for not understanding Ramsay saying he knows what you're going to do. He's going to counter any plans you have. He's going to antagonize you and make you do stuff that you don't want to do. You're just not getting it. But I see both sides of this. I see John being very kind of naive to he thinks he knows what he's going up against here with Ramsey. Yeah. He's saying, I've faced White Walkers, kid. You know, like, Sansa, I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about. I've seen worse enemies than this little bastard boy who wants to toy with me, and I can take him. So perhaps a little ignorant on his part for not fully understanding his opponent, but there is a moment where he says, okay, fine, I don't know him. You do know him better than me. Tell me. Tell me these things about him. What do I need to do to defeat him? How do I make this work? Because this is all I've got. I know this army isn't enough, but this is what we're working with here. And the battle starts tomorrow. So what's your advice? To which she says nothing. nothing. She doesn't tell him about the manipulations of Ramsay and how he might throw out a trick that he can't refuse and what John needs to do to, to stop that from happening. She doesn't tell him, hey, it might be a good idea if you just wait maybe a day, or I don't know if we can delay this, but the thing is that I did write to Littlefinger and it maybe was a stupid idea because he's not the best guy ever, should have told you about it, but he's got a shit ton of men that he's commanding in the Vale. He did offer them to me. They might be coming. I think what was unsaid, but we felt, is that she did speak to him, and then we do see it later on. She She spoke to Littlefinger. She must have. Oh, right, but yeah. this was the perfect opportunity to tell John that. Yeah. I mean, she's been keeping it. They're from on their him. way. Let's just chill for a little bit. They'll be here a little, a couple hours late. And we could win. <laughs> yeah. We could really win this war. And have a plan for it. Instead, by keeping it from him, she sends all of these men from the Stark army to their death and almost John. 
I mean, it's pretty close for him getting killed here a couple of times. That part is semi-John's fault. So what would she ever have done, though, if John had died before those Knights of the Vale got there? I don't know. She would have probably felt like a shit heel. I'd say so. So the communication is really not there. This relationship really isn't there yet to where they can talk to each other in a way that's effective to get where each other is coming from. We also go over to another misstep where John goes to see Melisandre. Mm-hmm. And I think he's really looking for advice here. Like oh, I'm, yeah. I'm asking everybody and nobody's helping me out. I'm asking Sansa, I'm asking Davos, I'm asking Tormund. I'm doing the best I can and I don't know what more to do. You tell me. Like she's supposed to be this great priestess who led Stannis so effectively for so long. Now she made huge mistakes later on when it came to him, but we saw the force of her power mm-hmm. where her leeches did kill kings in the Battle of the Five Kings. Her shadow baby did kill Renly yeah. when Stannis needed it. She did bring Jon Snow back to life, and here she is sitting in her tent, not taking part in the battle strategy like you said, moping, not using her magic, not telling John what she sees in the flames because she doesn't trust herself anymore to interpret that, and instead just telling him that he might have brought you back just for you to die in this battle. That could be the case. Yeah. Don't even offer like an or. Or maybe he's got this really big purpose for you that's going to go far beyond today and you're going to be really victorious because guess what? I saw a victory against Bolton banners in my flames a couple of years ago. She doesn't trust herself. So she's not going to play that game anymore the way she did with Stannis. And part of that is really nice to see her vulnerability, but it puts John in a really bad position entering into this battle. He's got no support. Then we go over to Davos and Tormund. I really like this scene where they're discussing their time serving under their respective kings, Stannis and Mance, and perhaps they were the wrong people. Perhaps it really was John all along that they were meant to serve, and they say he is no king, but in a good way. Yeah. Like, in a way that this is the man maybe we need to get behind to lead us through the long night. I like this because it's other people seeing John as a true ruler and really wanting to get behind him because he's a good man and they could see him being effective at fighting the White Walkers, which we've always thought as viewers, but you're finally getting that on TV. After that, we see Davos walk off away from Tormund to find the funeral pyre where Shireen was burned. And he located that wooden stag, kind of yeah. like we thought he was going to. What's worrying about this is I'm afraid after this great victory that they had here, they're now going to suffer dissent amongst their own ranks. Because you're going to have John and Sansa who need to learn how to trust each other. They're not quite communicating right. Then you've got Davos, who clearly is going to go after Melisandre. We see that in the previews for the next episode. And... We don't even know what the debt is going to be to Littlefinger. What is he going to ask for for now swooping in and saving all of them? I'm sure this is not going to come for free. This is all of his plan. So much was said in that one shot of Littlefinger this episode. Mm -hmm. He didn't say a thing, just the look on his face. I was like, oh, shit. But we needed him. So there's going to be more battles to fight now, I think, internally. They're still not ready and united and set to go against the White Walkers. I think episode 10, hopefully, will go into that a little more. The lesson to be learned, humans are stupid. They're <laughs> emotional, and they're dumb. Yeah. Now we finally get to the scene where the armies gather the following morning as Ramsay brings out Rickon. Here's the first trap that he's laid. 
He starts out by telling him to run to John as fast as he can while he fires arrows at him. Um, were you kind of wondering why Rickon didn't just do a little... Run in angles. Zigzag. And, and zigzag it up. Action. And change your speed. Like, st stop completely every so often. Yeah. And then run. And then, like, play with him. I mean, I get that Ramsey's a good archer, but we see that he's not 100%. If he would have looked back, mm -hmm. waited for Ramsey to fire the arrow, and then just moved in a different direction, the arrow's been fired. Yep. It can't change course. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I know that it probably would have ended all the same way with him, but... We got not a moment of seeing Rickon have anything resembling good action or character development. I was Nothing. kind of hoping that his death would be a little bit better, but nope, they just kind of take him from us. It's really all about John here. Even in the moment of Rickon's death, it's more about the trap being laid for him and how he responds to that. Like an idiot. Right? I and just, he, uh... yeah, he does exactly what he was warned against, but... This brings me back to something you talked about in a prior episode. Well, okay, you know that this letter that Ramsay sent, the pink letter, is a trap, enticing you to come out into battle, but knowing that this is your brother, how do you not go? Same thing, only more emotional. He's sitting here now and seeing Rickon actually running towards him. How does he not ride towards him? I suppose, but I would have been yelling, like, you know, run in angles and... Don't run in a straight line or something. I don't know. Well, if he would have prepped for that, I see, because I think that's what Sansa was saying. Rickon's going to die either way. He's kind of, that's it. Like, Ramsay can't have this kid here to challenge his reign. And I thought that was really important, that they've been showing that the North doesn't respect Sansa or Jon as the true heir to Winterfell. Sansa is... A woman, and she's technically also either a Bolton or a Lannister now, the way you look at it. Yeah. Not a Stark. Uh, John is a defector of the Night's Watch. They're going to see it as him abandoning his duties, and he's a bastard. He's not a Stark. Your real heirs here are Bran and Rickon, but nobody knows Bran's still alive, so they see Rickon as being the last true uh, kind of heir to Winterfell, and thus Ramsay's greatest worry yes he'll never be safe till he takes him out so if john would have planned a little bit better for that knowing he was going to draw him in and he wasn't going to be able to stop it so what's the next step because immediately as he rides forward and ramsey sends the troops out davos is forced to say okay follow him to the cavalry yeah. He doesn't want to do that, but he can't not send them in. His commander just marched into battle. We know he's marching to his death, but what do you do? Hold your army back and just let him die? Mm -hmm. He's forced to have them go. So essentially, you just set off a chain reaction that's going to lead to you losing the battle because now you can't stop the momentum of being drawn into the trap. Nope. Two, this, this episode was very beautiful. Um, and the, two of the more beautiful uh, scenes were during this part. Mm-hmm. One when uh, Jon Snow, after his brother's killed and the cavalry's coming at him, mm -hmm. and you can see the horses coming at oh, Jon Snow, God. and in behind the scenes they said that was real. Yeah, he actually had to stand there yeah. as eighty horses came full tilt at him. It's insane. <clears throat> and when they got close, they practiced like the horses going one way and him kind of going another way. But yeah. what must it feel like to actually be standing there watching them Feeling all come the ground, at you this way? You know, the ground shaking. Yeah. But I mean, they had the camera behind him. You can see these beautiful horses galloping towards him and towards us. And on our big screen TV, it was 
that was just so beautiful. They even did the thing at one point where it's almost like you go deaf where mm-hmm. there's just ringing in your ears and you can hear them marching but nothing else. The sounds of everything sort of fade away and he's almost standing there like accepting, okay, I'm an idiot. I did this thing. I messed up. This is my death. I'm ready for it. I'm going to go down with a fight. Yep. And that's when he pulls out Longclaw and he's just like, I'll take as many down as I can. Exactly. And what a great heroic moment for those of you Jon Snow fans out there. <laughs> Ever since his resurrection, we've been waiting for him to have a totally epic badass moment. If you think back, even the Castle Black battle was almost a massacre until Stannis got there. The Hardhome battle was definitely a massacre. You haven't really seen this full force battle where you get to see like Jon Snow going in and fighting and kicking the shit out of people. No. And we finally got that. I love how Right when you think he's about to die, they have the uh, his boys just come in, perfect timing, just start barreling through. Oh, Davos sounding that charge. Yeah. Great moment for him. Davos. They know it's stupid, but everybody not a second's hesitation. They're like, all right, let's go. I love Davos. We might as well be chicken shits if we stay here. Yep. <laughs> oh, yep. Man. Even later where he's back there and he's like, this archer business is doing shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... You, they all know this is probably going to mean their deaths too. They're completely outnumbered. This would have been the time for them to turn tail. Nobody would have even known. They're in the far back of the army there, but that's just not who these men are. No. They're going to go down with a fight. So I loved seeing John come in and really be super effective here. So where we've seen him losing his strength in other areas, making poor decisions or... You know, just the stuff that went down at Castle Black and the Night's Watch. He finally has this moment here where he is a great fighter. Maybe we forgot what a well-trained swordsman he was. He learned this back at Winterfell with a master at arms. He brought that knowledge to Castle Black. He Mm -hmm. was training the men of the Night's Watch from when he first got there, even when he was just a trainee himself teaching them how to sword fight. So we see this now. He's able to cut down a ton of men. He's just rampaging. His face is full of blood and dirt and you know he's just cutting them down one right after the next and like the director said you have quite a few of these moments where you see that the people who survive battles like this a lot of times it's just sheer luck Mm -hmm. so an arrow comes and somebody else kind of comes into the frame last minute and they take the arrow yep you know or an enemy's coming towards him and Tormund steps in to chop that enemy down i mean there's so many times where john could have been taken from us but he's lucky enough to survive they showed it third person you know on john snow as if we were him and like in a video game which only made it even worse for us thinking he might die in this because you saw that he wasn't perfect he was looking around and three like you were saying three times he almost died and mm-hmm. someone saved him and then he grabs the guy that just saved him. And he's like, good work. And then he gets an arrow in the eye. Yep. Then another guy on a horse is about to chop his head off. And then he gets an arrow. Yep. And it was so, they showed visually, they've depicted very well how confusing war is. Oh, sure. And we were confused. He was confused. I didn't know what was going on. Who's the good guys? Who's the bad guys? Is he about to get hit? Yeah, you don't even know if he's chopping down his own men at some parts here because, I mean, it's not like they're wearing Bolton flags across their Mm -hmm. chest. It's just men fighting men. And 
just never knowing. I mean, there's just arrows thunking down in the ground around him, and he's looking left and right, and you feel like you're in his position. Like, are they just going to hit us any second now? Is an arrow just going to come down and take us out? And horses are thundering by, and he's just missing them, running into him. Like you said, it's just complete chaos. Who even knows if you're winning or losing right no, now? No one knows. And, you know, he finally does take a second to look around, and what he notices is that it's looking pretty damn hopeless. Yeah. The bodies are just piling up into these huge mountain-like stacks, and most of them are Stark men. There's a lot of Bolton men out there. I mean, they're doing a lot of destruction, but for as many Boltons as go down, they have more to Mm -hmm. fight, and, and the Starks do not. So every man they're losing is dwindling their army down to almost nothing. That point finally comes to a head when you see there's really, like, I don't know, looks like 50 men left, not a lot at all who have been led into this very trap that they set out to create. They are being brought into a circle. Yeah. To the back of them is this huge wall of bodies, and then all the way around the front in a semicircle is the phalanx of Bolton army soldiers. Very very Romanesque. And they lockstep, they put their shields out in front of them, creating a wall, and stick these super long spears through them, and they just start taking step after step in unison to push them back into a tighter and tighter circle. And every time they move forward, the first line of Starks gets speared yep. and taken out. The main wildling. Torment. I mean, in that part, the last thing you want to do is be at the edge of it. And he comes into the edge on purpose. Yeah, he like, first shit. starts to rush forward and tries to take out some of the men. Right, take out some of the phalanx of Bolton armies. Yeah, Yeah. that he's like trying to fight them while one one the giant is trying to take out some of the spear fronts. Yeah, but it's not enough, and it actually gets to the point where he he turns tail, he runs, he's trying to get out, and then the wildlings follow him Mm -hmm. because, of course, they're going to follow Tormund. It looks hopeless, and they start trying to climb that wall of bodies because it's the only way out, and that's where you see jerk off small John Umber coming up the other way over the wall yep. with some Bolton men to stop anybody that's trying to run. He's and a this, good fighter though, huh? This just squashes all hope where we said we were kind of hoping for a Braveheart type moment where the yeah. Umbers would come and turn around and go, go to the Stark side and be like, oh, we were never for you, Bolton. Sorry, we're, we're actually for the Starks. We remained loyal. But they are loyal to the Boltons to the very end. And we see a one-on-one combat in the middle of all this between Small John and Tormund. Before I get into that, going back into when they were surrounded, they even tried to go through the wall and they showed you that this wall is strong and you can hit, you can like football. Yeah, Tormund hit. tried that. Yeah. And it just doesn't move. It doesn't budge. Nope. And then you'll see a dude with a sword just stick his hand in there. Yep, that's all it takes. It's insane. And it stops anybody else from trying to do that. I was kind of wondering... You would think the giant could do more damage by well, just taking a, a thrust around at the spears, at least. Well, that my whole thing, even before this scene, was how come he doesn't have a weapon? If he had, like, a huge, giant, boulder-sized mace, he yeah. could just, like, whoosh, Swing it around. Yeah. He'd be taking him out left and right. Like at a, least break, like a lawnmower. break part of the line so you can get out of there. Well, even in the beginning, when they're running towards him, he can just, like a lawnmower, just... He had nothing but his bare hands, and we know he's not invincible. He can get hurt, so who never thought going into battle to give your greatest strength 
your a giant huge, a weapon giant, giant sword giant mace and then even without the weapon when they're surrounded grab one of those spears and start poking everyone because he can see over the shields so just lean over and just start poking like you're poking holes into a pillowcase just like do you remember when he was doing it hard home where he was taking the dead bodies and just smashing them against the ground and swatting them off of him now I know these were weak because they were corpses but it showed just how much strength that he had where he seemed really ineffective here and then I think back to the battle at Castle Black where there were still two giants and mm-hmm. they had giant sized bows and arrows that they were able oh, yeah. to shoot up to the top of the wall and they were taking out multiple men. It was like they were super dangerous. If he had that arrow when uh, the Stark kid was running, he could have shot one huge arrow at and Ramsey. hit Ramsey. Yeah. And how much would that have forced the rest of the men to be like, what, what are we doing here? Do we again, really want to follow him? So that, again, we're seeing that initial war made it where we couldn't fight this war with all of our strength. And every, every time it accumulates, it was we're not as strong John's as we mistake. did. Just, I, I wonder why they changed shape so much to the point that the giant is almost of human weakness in this battle. Now, we see his strength towards the very end, which we'll get to later, but in this battlefield moment, he's really unable to do much at all. He kind of is backed into the circle along with the humans, where you got to think he could just be stepping on these men to get out of there. So so I'm I'm a little confused by him not being able to do anything, but they didn't make that the focus. They bring the focus back to John when the wildlings start to retreat and try to go to the wall. He gets trampled. Mm Mm-hmm. He falls down as he turns around, and then man after man just starts running over him, and they foreshadowed that earlier when he sees the wall of men, and there's guys in there still alive screaming, help me, get me out of here, and he's kind of put in this position now. they're getting stepped on. Where he's getting kind of climbed on top of, and the men are mounting up, and and it looks for a minute again like he's ready to give up. Mm. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, now we're going to lose him. Where he just stops, <laughs> and the screen starts getting black as the bodies pile up, and it's like, oh, this is really it. This this feels like we can hear him. He can't breathe. How men are, like, crushing him. His breathing gets really labored. They close in the mic on him and the sounds that he's making, and, and you just think it's the end. And he finally gets that burst of, wait a second, this is not my time. I don't want to die now. And he starts just clawing his way out pulling the men around him, pulling himself up. It's almost like when you're in a mosh pit and he tries to pull himself up on the shoulders of the other men so that he can break free and get this gasp of air and keep surviving. And I like that in the behind the scenes. He says this was, A, very much like the Misa moment for Danny when she takes over the city and the people are raising her up in this crowd of people. Yep. Uh, very much like that, and also very much like him being reborn. That yeah, he, he rises kept up that. out of this, and, and that's how he acted it. And actually, I was very impressed to see that while I love John and his character, his acting has always kind of required one face, mm-hmm. one look. Whereas in this episode, I saw a lot of development in the facial acting. He was portraying a lot of different emotions just with his facial features. Oh, yeah. Seeing when he was defeated versus when he was strong versus when he was angry. We got so much of that here. And that really that really brought it home. So when he does break out of this, you see that he wants to live. He's ready to fight again. He's ready to go back into the battle. 
that's when we see Tormund fighting and killing Small John. But they both kind of look around and it's not doing much because this little circle that's still left inside is just dwindling, dwindling, almost down to a man. They're going to be defeated. And right at the moment where you think, God, they're not coming. The help is not coming. Yeah. Because... There were so many parts prior to this in the battle where you're like, oh, they got to come now, right? Yeah. All right, surely the Knights of the Vale are coming now. All right, well, it's not there. It'll be in the next time. Oh, okay, they're going to come now. And then now you're like, shit, man, we're almost all done with this battle. They're not coming. And right at that very moment, you hear the horn sounding, and you see the people coming up over the hill, and then they zoom in on that veil, on that eerie uh, sigil that they're carrying, yep. the blue and white flags on the banners. And they ride in, and it's just amazing how they ride up to the phalanx and start taking the men out like dominoes. Yeah, yeah. it was because they were all bunched up, not even facing them. And on foot, and now these men are, are mounted. Yep. And they talked several times about how important that was going to be in the battle, how many mounted men you had on horses, how strong the horses were. And this is an army that is fresh and untested and hasn't been in a battle mm -hmm. throughout all of these wars that we've been fighting, and they are just at full speed, full strength, and they come in and they're plowing through them. Like it's awesome. nothing. Another epic scene with, just from the top, this beautiful view of them getting toppled over like dominoes. Yeah. And another good feeling in our hearts. <laughs> and that banner flying, and then of course they do pan up, and you see Littlefinger and Sansa. Sansa's right there. In the background, you know, on top of the hill. Which shows you that Sansa was part of it. It wasn't that... Like, if she wasn't there, we could have thought, like, maybe Sansa didn't know and Littlefinger was coming anyways. Yep. But no, Sansa she was knew. right there with him. We still have to wonder whether the note went to her, to him specifically. It seems like it did now. Uh, I think we're going to get that wrap up in the next episode to yeah. what exactly happened there and what did she have to offer? What is he going to try to take? Uh, but, but communication, man. Speak to your brother about this. Yeah, this is really going to be a problem that she didn't tell him because you know he's going to want something like Sansa's hand in marriage or something crazy and now she's going to have to explain to John all of this lying and sneaking around that she's been doing and all of the men that just got killed here. But still a magnificent moment before we even get a chance to think about all that to just yeah. see that they're safe. Yes. That's it. They're done now. The Boltons are done. They're able to take all of them and what an excellent moment where Ramsay just turns tail. Well, he just turns and runs back to Winterfell. And I love how the, the three people that go over the bodies, the first three mm -hmm. are Jon Snow, mm -hmm. Juan Juan. Yep, and Tormund. Oh my God, I was like, hell and yeah. And they start They're still alive. booking it yep. after Ramsay who's <laughs> doing his little bitch run back to the castle. Yep. Um. So, you know, like we said, none of the northern houses wound up being loyal to the Starks. They weren't just waiting for the right time to go back over, but they did get cut down here. We go to Ramsay retreating inside Winterfell's walls. And what's funny is he's still convinced that they're okay. Yeah. Because they won. They won the battle after all. And the northerners don't have enough men for a siege. This is always what his father told him. If you're inside Winterfell's walls, you're safe against 50 times as many men. Yeah. He's just got that one track mind still where he's not thinking of the fact that, hello, they have a giant. And that's exactly what happens. He's so deep into it, into his plan that he can't see it. He still thinks he's winning. 
And so, of course, this is where one one does coming breaking down the gates and such a great moment for him. But when he finally runs in, we see he's just peppered with arrows. Yeah, and these are huge, thick arrows. They're just sticking out everywhere. And you're wondering, like, we've seen him take so much damage in the past and just pull arrows out of him and pull white walkers off of him or whites off of him. And we're kind of thinking for a minute there he might just make it, but he drops to his knees. There's a look with John, And as they're looking at each other... King Shit himself feels the need to put one more arrow into his eye. Oh, so sad. Another visually beautiful and moment. And this is, this is it. This is the last of the giants. Right in front of Jon Snow, and that's when he snaps. Oh, I am the last of the giants. My people are gone from the earth. Before we go any further, I want to do two more complaint moments. Okay. Again, we, we were pretty much already complaining about this, but I want to go deeper into it. Juan Juan not having weapons. But also, what if he had uh, armor, metal armor? A shield? Thick, fucking thick, thick, because he, he can carry it, where the arrows just jump off. And then also a mask, a helmet. A helmet. So the arrow to his eye would be, do nothing. And this is, you know, you can do like two inch or one inch thick pure Even steel. Even if it wasn't steel, boiled leather, anything like I know you were in a, a pinch here to get this battle <sighs> going quickly, but you just sent him out there with nothing. Yeah. And he's he's your greatest asset in this battle and you have completely not prepared him. This is just another testament to Game of Thrones and I think in the end, even if somehow the good guys quote unquote win we're still going to be left with sadness because every so many people are going to be dead. Yeah, it's the end of a race here. It was super sad to see the giant taken from us. If he had his mammoth, he could have plowed through the yeah. door even quicker. Oh, that Again, it makes you hearken back to battles past and how defeating this group seemed like the right thing at the time, a thing that you had to do. So we had yeah. to defeat the wildlings when they were coming at our door, but that cost us a giant. We could have had two giants here instead of one. That cost us the mammoths that could have been here. So every time these battles happen, now we're thinking of it here as somebody that could have been here to help us fight this battle, but imagine when it comes time to the White Walkers and all of these things that we could have still had on our side to fight them that we no longer do. All the children are gone now. That wasn't our fault, but... Um, our forces are, are just being lessened each time. And, and so I know they're setting you up for we need to have Danny come in. We need her army and her strength because we're losing it. But I just wish there was a little bit left of the strong northern force to mm -hmm. be that first line of defense against them. We were being set up so hard for that. And now it feels like they're nothing, like they're going to be walked over by the time they come. Um, so I, I really want to know where they're going to go with that, of what is the next step? How do they regroup to, to have any sort of strength in the north? Because you know that army is coming soon, and Danny's not here yet. It's going to take her time to mm -hmm. get over here and find out about this threat and get her ass up there. So what do these people do in the meantime? And you know that the wall, I mean, this is, I'm jumping way forward, and we'll probably go in this in our bonus episode, but... Mm -hmm. We know that the wall is not going to stop these guys, these White Walkers. Probably not. If, I mean, it, it is right now because the magic is still up. Right. But... If Bran goes past the wall, yeah. he still has that mark on his arm. That's what we're thinking, that that's going to allow them to pass. 
Yeah. I've got a lot of anxiety right now. And we haven't seen Bran in a little while, so you have to think the next time we see him, A, we're going to hopefully get a few more visions, like they cut us off on that Tower of Joy, finishing up with John Stark's, John Snow's, mm-hmm. <laughs> John, John, whatever he may be, his parentage. John uh, So hopefully we'll get back to that, and, th- and then we will see kind of Bran making his way towards the wall, perhaps. Although maybe now that he's got Benjen, Benjen knows that. Mm-hmm. And we'll tell him not to do that. Who, who, yeah, right. Who knows <laughs> at this point? Uh, but getting back to Winterfell here, like you said, John snaps, and <laughs> he turns to Ramsay, and Ramsay's like, "Okay, listen, I thought about that single combat thing. Now that the rest of my army's dead and it's just me, I'm thinking, let's give it a try. I'll fight you. Uh, uh, maybe I'll have a chance here." And he starts shooting arrows still. And again, I had that feeling like if John dies now. I'm going to be oh, even more Oh, that pissed. would have been ridiculous. <laughs> but what's funny about that is that John's getting within swinging distance if you have a sword. And Ramsay's continuing to shoot. And it's highlighting that Ramsay has had no real military training. He's not a proficient swordsman. His father has said this about him before. He was trained by the original Reek, the real Reek, before Theon became Reek. Okay. And... He knows viciousness, but he doesn't know sword fighting. So he wouldn't have stood a chance in this single combat. And he is just kind of like firing until John gets right on top of him. And John starts beating him to a bloody pulp. I mean, really losing his shit on him. And they said behind the scenes that it's supposed to get to a point where even we're feeling horrified by it, where it's, no. where, you know, Kit Harrington's describing it as like, oh yeah, he's getting what he deserves. He, he's still getting what he deserves. Oh, oh, okay. This is a little much. Could you, could you please stop now? All right. It's enough. He's gotten enough, but I didn't feel that way. I felt like I was so satisfied to see him. And at one point I was even going, this isn't enough for this man. He's going to be dead in two minutes. He didn't have to suffer at all after everything he's put other people through. And I think that when John does finally stop, it's not out of any sense of I've gone too far, but it's because he looks at Sansa and he sees her face and he realizes this is not my kill to make. Right. She deserves to be the one to have this kill. And he backs off. And I thought that that, as dark as it is, was the closest thing to a moment that they've had so far. Yeah. Like, I know what you've been through. I know everything he did to you. You should have this opportunity. So he backs off, and we see the Bolton banners being taken from the walls and the Direwolf banners being raised, which is a real heroic moment. Opposite of uh, last week when we saw Jamie's banners taking place of... Over River Run. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And John also ordering Rickon's body to be buried in the crypts next to their father, which was a, a touching thing as well. And then Sansa asks him where Ramsay's being kept. And she goes to his cell to see him. Even here, he still thinks he's okay. I think because John allowed him to live, he's thinking, oh, these weak Starks, they're not going to kill me and I'll be kept in this cell for a little while. And you know what? I'm smart. I'll find my way out of here. Even the first thing he says to her as she comes up is, oh, is this where I'm going to stay now? Ha, ha, ha. Like, I'll figure out a way out of here. <laughs> and then he kind of looks at her and looks at her face and he's putting two and two together and he's like, No, no, you're not gonna let me live, are you? And you're like, you're here to do the deed. But he's still kind of smirking and he's taunting her, the things that he's saying. At one point he even says, 
you'll never be rid of me. Even if you kill me now, I will still be with you. Mm-hmm. And what is your theory? And on this that? is very hot on the heels of a couple episodes ago when Sansa was describing to Littlefinger the horrors of what she'd been through at Ramsay's hands. And I thought it almost a little odd that she felt the need to go in such detail and the the wording that she used when she said, I can still feel what he did inside of me. Now, of course, she was raped. She was beaten. She was tortured. These things will remain with her forever. She would still feel the physical effects of that inside of her. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't think that's something Sansa would say to Littlefinger. Just speaking of the rape, it just felt off to me. So a lot of people had been speculating that they believe Sansa is pregnant as a result of this rape with Ramsay's child. So the Boltons live on. So I dismissed that initially after the little finger thing because, you know, could have just been a weird word thing and who knows. Now, after what Ramsey says in his final moments, the last thing he says to her is something along those very weird lines of you're not going to get rid of me. How does Ramsey know, though? He hasn't seen her in a while. Uh, I mean, maybe he just feels very confident that the <laughs> seed is strong, to quote John Aaron. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure, but I, I'm giving it more credence now that we've heard it again. And I think that it could, it definitely seems like a direction Martin might take this in for her to have that to be something that she deals with now. And what is that going to mean for her character development? I'm very interested in it as a theory. I'm still not hundred percent, but she is kind of taunting him with, this is going to be the end of your family and the end of your line. So you're led to believe because he killed his father and his little brother that Walda was bearing uh, that this would be the last of the Boltons. The last of the Boltons. Um, so I'm not sure. And I, I'm thinking, like, couldn't she even tell people it's not his when it comes out? Well, I mean, probably. would you even want to tell people it's a Bolton? Uh, but anyway, she gets the final revenge when she's telling him about his hounds and he's still... They're feeling kind of okay at that point. He's getting really nervous, but he's like, no, my hounds wouldn't do that to me. They're, they're, they're loyal. They're loyal, yep. They've been well-trained. Loyal beasts. But, you know, you're kind of looking at him, and he's bloody as yep. fuck. And they haven't been fed in he's seven been days. He's starving them. And it's almost an analogy to what he's done to the men that are following him, who you believe have only done so out of fear, not any real loyalty the way they used to be loyal to the Starks, right. but because they're scared to death of being killed. And, um, yeah, no real loyalty with these hounds either. They just tear his face off. It's a whole uh, loyalty over, I mean, uh, rule over fear or rule over respect. Yeah. And uh, fear doesn't work. And in this moment where he can't be stronger and make them fearful, that's his end. That's his demise. So, yeah, the hounds come out to kill and feed on him very gruesomely. And for a second, you think Sansa's going to walk away. She's like, it's good. He's dying. That's going to be the end of it. And she stops and she comes back to watch. Yep. She watches almost the whole thing. When it's pretty much done, then she turns and walks away. And our last look is of the hint of a smirk on her face. That she has actually enjoyed this revenge that she got on him. Roll to credits. I have to say, this scene was awesome with the with the dogs. He comes up in front of him. Another mm-hmm. beautifully visual scene. Uh, well acted, because you know there wasn't a real dog for the actor. Yeah. Very well acted. And he just bites his face. He licks it first, and he's like, down, down. 
and then bites his face. Now, love the scene. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. No complaints at all with that. Okay. Except for one thing. This is what we wanted to see from the wolves. A wolf kill a bad guy. Yeah. Ghost should have been here. Gruesome like this. It would have been awesome. Ghost should have been here. Where is Ghost? Did he actually get <laughs> left at the wall now is what I'm thinking because we haven't seen him this whole time. Uh, a dire wolf back in Winterfell reasserting stark control. I mean, it just would have been the ultimate <clears throat> in yeah. revenge. For Ramsay, it was even scarier. So it was a more appropriate death for him, for him because these yes. were his own hounds and this was a sport that he liked to engage in and oh it definitely meant more for the but his hounds for us for yeah. the starks it would have been powerful to or, see that but i don't even mean with ramsey just this is what we've been waiting for to see the wolves actually kick some ass yeah let me ask you do you think any of this would have happened if ramsey didn't kill his father well Roos certainly would not have let things go this far mm-hmm I mean, he didn't even want to take on the Night's Watch. He thought that would have turned all the northern houses against them. <clears throat> and certainly, if it did come to a battle, he would not have let the battle play like this. Yeah. So, no. I don't think it would have. I agree. The Ramses probably would have ruled for a lot longer, at least. Well, he definitely had certain um, strategic smarts it from a manipulative, um, cunning standpoint. Mm-hmm. And he had his men ruled by fear, certainly. Uh, but yeah, you've just you've lost so many men in this episode. That's that's the only thing that definitely bothers me. But overall, let's go to our Raven rating. Okay. Because you know, like I said, a couple of things, certain things were a little bit predictable, but depicted in such an amazing way. There were a few moments that were kind of upsetting. But I'm gonna tell you, I'm giving this a nine point eight. Ravens. Nice. Almost as high as I can go. So episode seven, I gave a 7.6. Mm -hmm. Episode eight, 5.5. Episode nine, 9.5 Ravens. Yeah. So we're Epic. both super high on the episode nine. Beautiful. I've said this already, but I'll say it again. Beautiful shots. Jon Snow alone on the field with a fleet of horse riders charging at him. Mm -hmm. The opening sequence with the balls of fire from the ships hitting the people, the close-ups mm -hmm. of the people getting hit and destroying walls. Dragons flying and fighting, just epic. Very well done with the fire coming out. Dragons are just kick-ass. And Drogon, they did an amazing job when he leans his head down. He's bigger yeah. than, a, he's bigger than a, a large house, just his head. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't look fake with Danny next to it. It blended well. Mm -hmm. The giant with destroying the people and how he died. It was sad, but it was very well done. Every time he was on screen, the visual representation of him was handled amazing. And I know I'm missing a bunch more. Just the most beautiful episode was, I've ever seen. It was every seen. scene. Every single scene, there wasn't a complaint with no. the visuals, the way it was set up, how they no shortcuts directed, taken. produced it. You know, it was just... Like I said, there's a few character things that I was kind of frustrated with and a few predictable moments, but but even the way they handled the moments we expected was so unique that it sort of turned it on its head for us. So I really, really enjoyed it. And I think what's even more interesting, if you go over to our next segment, Who Owns the Throne this week, you must feel so split, right, between Danny and Jon Snow. Yeah, I would say Danny over John because John suffered so much loss. Yeah. Danny, 
zero. Absolutely. And she was certainly the more epic, the more victorious, the more people that are just united and on the same page underneath her, taking out, vanquishing the enemy. But you also see on John's side, after everything they've been through and how hopeless it is, his men just following him. Mm-hmm. Without a second's hesitation, into certain death, they follow him. Because they believe in him. They, they, they see what he could be. And just the phrase... When they talk about they thought that Mance was the man to lead them through the long night, but maybe they were wrong, meaning to maybe it's John to lead us through the, the long night. Um, just so many hero moments amidst all the loss and destruction and idiocy of John at certain points. Complete yep. idiocy. Uh, but for me, it felt like exactly where we should be at this point in the whole story of the world of ice and fire, feeling split between our love for John and our love for Danny and that they're yeah. both heroic and they're both leaders in their own right. And they had that right in this one episode. With Danny, how many fighters does she have now? She's got the Dothraki coming in. That was another epic scene. Another beautiful visual that I forgot. Which they haven't even told us. It's thousands and thousands. We yeah. don't know the number, they're but, all coming but in lots of Dothraki. She's got the second sons, which we haven't even really seen highlighted for us, but the men that Dario initially brought over to us, mm-hmm. the sellsword company. Yep. Um, the Unsullied, which I know we had a number on that at one point, and I can't I forget recall. Now. But again, thousands. Thousands. Um, and the three dragons. And the three fucking dragons. Now, the Unsullied, uh, we did touch upon this, but I, I also want to say the last season, we saw them pretty much get handled. Yeah. And I was like, I thought they were supposed to be badass. And this kind of made me agree again or believe in them again. Yeah, remember that they're good fighters. Yeah. And Grey Worm, as their leader, becoming a more and more effective leader, if you give an honorary own, it's got to go to him and his badass moment because we've been waiting on that a real long time for him to step up and, and have something, anything. Um, and, you know, now let's not forget, if she also does accept Theon and Yara into her service, however many Ironborn men that they had on those ships with them oh, yeah. are also with her. Do you think so? Oh, yeah. That's right. Yes. Because they took a lot of men in addition to the ships when they left. What are they going to do with the men that were on the ships, uh, the slave masters? Oh, no. Those are all slaves. So they'll let them go as well, free men. Well, the people right? that, yeah, they're letting them go. The people that rode in on the ships, there was a lot of masters. We saw a lot of them either being taken out or sent back to spread the word. Right. And we saw the sons of the harpy who started all this being slaughtered by Dario and mm-hmm. the Dothraki. So... So I'm hoping that we have the dragons just reigning free, flying around, and they need to feed, right? So she needs to set up a place, a one place where they, they're trained to eat, and uh, sla- uh, masters they can eat on, and then, uh, this is going to sound dark, but they're going to have to do this, they're going to have to raise animals just for these dragons. Unless they touch down and stop in certain points, like... Uh we saw Theon and Yara when they came over stopping in Volantis to mm-hmm. resupply their ships. This could potentially be something she does. Or she has the ship stop as she continues. Maybe she just flies. The dragons don't really need to stop or just every so often quickly. And if she flies Drogon, will you see two other riders flying on two other dragons? Or have they just not set that up enough and it's too quick now? And you're not going to get, let's say, Tyrion on a dragon. I hope we do. I love Tyrion. Because you, can't, you have to figure she can't leave tomorrow. Mm-hmm. She still has to set up 
how is the rule going to go in these slave cities now yep. that she just turned everything upside down? She's not going to just ride out with all this time and effort she's put into establishing a new system there. She has to give them some kind of ruling force. She has to pack up the ships. She probably needs more ships. She needs supplies. This is going to take a little time. So we might not be completely out on the three dragon rider thing yet. No, I don't think so. I have to say uh, own the throne kind of secretly mm-hmm. not more than danny or snow but Littlefinger. oh certainly yeah um he owned the whole battle of the north mm-hmm. at the end of the day has to be recognized we have a wolf watch segment this week a sad one but we have to mention it that we have a confirmed death of shaggy dog it is another dire wolf off screen <sighs> So there was no payoff to any of this, no payoff to the Umbers potentially lying or this maybe not being a dire wolf. It really was. But what I think is interesting when I look this up, I didn't know this before I read about it. The fact that the name of this dire wolf should have been a clue for us all along. Apparently a shaggy dog is a literary term for a long running and seemingly significant plot thread which ultimately doesn't go anywhere, subverting the audience expectations. Oh, wow. Sneaky. So, I guess George knew what he was doing all along, and we should have known that Rickon and Shaggy Dog were never really going to have a role to play. As much as we felt that with Rickon, like he's not significant enough, there's nothing narrative going on here, we still had that hope for a plot because it wasn't really on his part. It might have fallen in with that great northern conspiracy. But no, they took no. all of that out, even if the, you know, the Northern Conspiracy is still very much alive in the books. And so maybe the Rick and Shaggy Dog story goes a little different. Even if he does die, it takes us a different route to get there. But here, that was, that was just it. So that's your wolf watch. And finally, we have our upcoming sneak peek through the heart tree to look at episode 10, The Winds of Winter. Our final episode for season six, to which they still have no description. They're keeping the plot summary from us. We know that it will be a 69-minute runtime, the longest in Game of Thrones. It will be written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by Miguel Sapochnik, but that's about all we know. I mean, we saw the previews. We know we're going to hit on pretty much everything. They're going to run the gamut through the entire list of characters and check in at least with the main people. We know we're going to go back to King's Landing and... As far as that's concerned, we did think we were going to have some kind of big culmination in King's Landing. So we got some feedback this week. One of the important ones I thought to mention was Brian Conway on Twitter, who said to us, good listen this week. Could no one, this is where we were reviewing the no one episode, also have referred to Cersei as she struggles to keep being someone in King's Landing. I thought that was great. We didn't even think about that. And it's true. It was definitely perfect, and I think that's the showdown you're going to see eventually with her as everything is stripped from her, as we suspected in the implosion of King's Landing, but her still desperately fighting to hold yes. on, even when all She's a fighter. seems lost. But she was like literally pushed to the corner. Yeah, by everyone. Her son put baby in the corner. By everyone except Crazy Kyburn. Yep. Who's still got his wheels turning. We suspect we know what that's about. But now I wonder, will we even see that in episode 10? If we get glimpses, we are certainly not going to get the entirety of how that rolls out until next season. Brian, thanks for writing in to us. Okay, this is this would be me. And this is probably because I'm not a fighter at heart. If I was Cersei, I'd be like, 
I take my three, my two dudes and say, let's go back to our homeland because we rule there and let's just ha- live the rest of our life chilling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just know she's never going to give up even when it's going to end horribly for her. My main question has always been, how does Jamie respond to this? Mm-hmm. And does he wind up coming back in because he just can't stop fighting for her and getting caught up in the evilness? Or does he somehow find the good in himself and the bigger purpose? Uh, But speaking of bigger purpose, even after she or King's Landing is theoretically taken out, uh, somebody's still got to rule eventually after we dispose of these White Walkers. So even if they torch the whole place, I think you're still going to see eventually that coming back into play. Yeah, maybe. It's going to be interesting how they handle it. Um, Write in if you have any thoughts about what could happen in episode 10. How are they going to wrap up the season to set us up for next time, which we know we're going to have a season 7 and Mm 8 that will be shortened in episode length. I don't know where our stopping point is for episode 10 next week. Uh, Thank you for writing in via Twitter. And if you want to catch us on Twitter, it's CKC Podcast or email contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. And again, the numbers are climbing. We've got more reviews on iTunes, uh, star reviews, and written reviews. So thank you again. Keep those coming, please. Yes, we appreciate all of the feedback. We appreciate the support, as always. And because it's great to see that you guys are interested and we don't want to stop with the Game of Thrones things, we will have our regular episode review for episode 10 next week. But then we will also have some bonus content for you after that. So... Please stay tuned. Even after the season's over, we will not stop. Yeah, we're going to have a two-part review. The first part will be Christina and myself. And then the second part, we're going to have three or four uh, listeners and friends on. It should be a fun time. And then after that, July 13th starts Mr. Robot Season 2. And you you damn well know that we will be reviewing that. (laughs) Absolutely. And should George ever decide to release Winds of Winter, if that happens in our off-season, we'll be back with more book stuff as well. So just keep your comments coming in and your feedback, and we'll try to give you more of what you want, even in the off-season. That was our episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. He's good. Very good. Oh, I am the last of the giants My people are gone from the earth The last of the great mountain giants Who ruled all the world at my birth
Who ruled all the world at my birth? 